Okay, and welcome back for another show. This is pretty awesome. Um, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. But before we get started, as always, we have our tea on hand. And Melinda's going to tell us a little bit about what's in our cup tonight. Hello. Yes, tonight we are talking about lavender because, Pam, tell us about what you have in your cup tonight. Okay, y'all know I went to West Virginia. Excuse the accent. I'm really sorry it happens. Um, but I was really fortunate and I got to talk to somebody who actually makes syrup at a uh, little thing we were at. This is spruce snob maple. And this, you, you'll die. These are the cutest oh little. Um, I know they're adorable. This one is um, lavender. Now, it was interesting because I talked to the gentleman. His name was Ron. He was very, very sweet. And he has a phone number on here. It's um, 301. It's actually a Maryland number because he's in Oakland, Maryland. But he was in Morgantown, West Virginia. And um, he has a camp address in Harmon, West Virginia. And he's out of Oakland. But the neat thing is the lavender that's in here is actually harvested outside of Deep Creek Lake, Maryland. So it's a natural harvesting of the lavender. Um, he was the one who, I was talking to him, and of course I'm interested in everything, and he was the one who told me that this is the lavender. I know you can't see it real clear, but it's maple syrup, and he said he loves it in his tea. And I mm -hmm. thought, hmm, now you just said the magic word, tea. So I told him, um, we do a show called Tea Time, and what better place to try this? So I have lavender and ginger. It's mm. hard to find ginger in things. Um, and these were adorable. These were only $6 a piece. I couldn't get the big ones back on the plane because you know how TSA is. But um, this is the guy's shop. And um, if you just go on to www.sprucenobmaple.com. And that is his website. And he has a little thing here on the back. Um, I know it's a little blurry, but um, your cam your phone's camera can usually pick this up because of the, the little doodads here. But um, I actually have it in my tea. Now, you guys know how much I love my honey, and I have to have like half a cup of honey. I like a little tea with my honey occasionally. Right. Um, it's a green tea because it's light. And I just put a little dab of it. I mean... This was, okay, it was filled up to the top to here, and that's how much I put in it, in a whole cup. And it has a very light taste. It's not like that, oh, my God, <laughs> really light. So I want to thank Ron. He was such a sweetie. He um, gave me his card and gave me the information about where they harvest the lavender because that was my first question. Do you responsibly harvest your lavender? And he was like, You'll never guess where we get it from. He did not know I lived in Maryland for 50 some odd years. And he goes, do you know Maryland? And I'm like, oh, kind of. And then <laughs> Deep Creek. And I said, Oakland. He's like, yeah, you know. Yeah, I used to drive through there on the way. So it is a nice little place. Um, they have one. They have a cinnamon one. Mm -hmm. And he said, and they had another one. Um, he has about 10 flavors. Um, and you can get it in larger containers. But for right now, for this, I mean, TSA did not get these. Thank you. Even though they found them. That is cute. Those are so cute. So, yes, because she has the lavender honey, I am doing 
Lavender. Um, and I don't believe we've done this before. And if we have, we're doing it again. But I don't believe we have. Some lavender. Um, but if you're new, you uh, like to talk about the medicinal and magical properties of a different plant or herb, um, usually uh, all of these can go in a tea. But again, always, always, always check with your medical professional, check for contraindications, any other medicines that you might be taking. Um, so the health benefits, it fights stress and anxiety, which a lot of us may already know that. It's good for um, depression in some ways because of that. It kind of, unfortunately, can be a trifecta with those three all intertwined a lot of times. Um, calms the digestive system, antibacterial properties it can help with, repairs the skin, and of course, improves sleep. Um, we all know that, you know, even the baby products that we uh, like have the lavender and the bath soaps and the lotions and all the stuff. Um, and, you know, in the, you know, they even have the organic kid gummies, you know, that have the, uh, the different like melatonin things. And then they have the lavender, um, sprays. Fiona and I are going to be doing, uh, the DIY lavender essential oil sprays that you can mist on your pillows. Um, so those are fun, but those are some, um, of the health benefits. And of course you can do the lavender tea if you have the fresh lavender. Um, of course you can also put it in the honey, but you can do the fresh lavender and it pairs really well with chamomile. If you're doing, you know, something like for sleep, um, that's gonna, of course, sort of double that effect. Um, and then for the magical properties, the associations for lavender magic is air, mercury, um, and then Scorpio, Aries, Virgo, and Pisces. So those were the ones for that. Um, the attributes are peace, joy, spirituality, sleep, beauty, and dreaming. Um, and again, we talked about sleep. So if you want to work any sort of magic for help with sleep, you can do that as well. Um, also, of course, the dreaming makes sense. That's going to help you. Um, you can place dry lavender onto your altar to enhance your spiritual connection and deepen your awareness. Hang lavender onto your front door to repel negativity and invite peace into your home. So going back to the peace. Um, soak away your fears by floating amongst lavender flowers when you take a bath. I like how they worded that, floating amongst lavender I was going to say, that just sounds like, oh, it's like I know. Lit. Yeah, I could get into that. And then it also says you can deepen your meditations by burning dried lavender incense. Um, now... I don't know if any of you saw the show when I burned rose petals and that was a complete disaster. It stunk so bad. I was afraid and it smoked and I'm like, oh, roses. Cause you know, fresh roses smell lovely. 
I thought, oh, let me light this little charcoal dish and put little rose petals, the dried rose petals. And yeah, I thought that for sure my smoke detector was going to go off. Oh my gosh. My husband, my kids, everyone was in the room like, what are you burning? <laughs> so I don't know. I'm a little gun shy now with the burning of the I flowers. That's, you know, it's funny. You can smell a scent like a flower and it has such a, a, depending on how you get it, sometimes the essential oils don't smell like lavender when they say lavender. Right. Um, I have a, a sensitive nose, so it's like, you know, I'm not big into harsh smells, but lavender done right is, oh. it's just beautiful. It's kind of like eucalyptus done right. Like if you have the eucalyptus hanging in your shower, where, not, you know, the whole bush. Right one or two strings of it, you know, but I am not really sure burning it is going to be any better than your roses. I, I, that would well, be one you'd have to go outside and burn first. I know definitely outside. See, because I do like a good challenge though. Yeah. So it's like, uh, like I'm gun shy, but then I'm like always like, but what if I'm like, hmm. yeah. yeah. I might do it I, that would have to be an outside burn for just yeah. in Casey's. Uh, yeah, just in Casey's. I'll, I'll definitely do it. So um, a few other things here. It says lavender is a plant that can attract a lover and send you into a sweet and wonderful sleep. Mm -hmm. Now we have um, mentioned, of course, it sounds all lovely, but we don't like to do those things because... When you start to meddle, you you usually wind up getting more than you ask for sometimes, and we don't. I eat. would think that it would enhance what you have just because the fragrance right. Just right. smells divine. Exactly. Um, burn to induce a peaceful night's sleep or use as an ingredient in peaceful sleep pouches or charms. We talked about that a bit. Scatter lavender around your home to promote a promote a peaceful atmosphere and happiness oh i like that i like that because it's kind of like a rock the uh, salt himalayan yeah uh, salt lamps kind yes. of just gives you that mm -hmm. peaceful feeling yes i love my salt lamps i have one in my room i have one that actually changes colors which kind of gives me a groovy a groovy vibe too i went at a white elephant at angela's a few years ago um i have that on my desk that i work at so i um, and then the effects of lavender are increased when paired with amethyst. So that makes sense, too. because the they're both purple. Yeah. 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 So if you're into purple, that would be perfect. I know. So I thought that was cool. Um, let me see. Now, I know for children, years and years ago, they would put it above the crib, a sprig, mm -hmm. just to give them, like, we bathe them now in the lavender. Johnson's and Johnson's, I think, has a whole line of lavender products. Right. Which... Right. Um, I think that was all that I had. And then, yeah, there's just something about, um, let's see. Yeah, just you can use it for clear communication. It does say you can combine it with rosemary as a perfume to calm and make wise decisions. Um, you can scent a paper with lavender to write a love letter. That's kind of sweet. Oh, that's kind of, now see that I would do. That I would do. That yeah. is, is 
very much passive. That yes. Not causing. Right, uh, yeah. Enhance awareness and intuition for dream work. So that gives a little bit more detail on how you can utilize that for dream work. Purification, consecrating sacred space. We talked about that protection and releasing negativity. So yeah, lavender is pretty good for all sorts of stuff. Lavender is, uh, was an old perfume that was used in the 16, 1700s because it helped keep, remember, people didn't have deodorant back then, so it helped keep the smell down. And they used to use a lot of lavender in uh, funeral homes, again, to keep the smell down. Before, right. you know, it got to be a big thing where you had your body induced in chemicals. Right. So that's, that's, I mean, that's really good. And it's not, this is not a very strong, strong knock your socks off taste. And I had the ginger the other night. Um, I actually got to taste them when I was there. And the ginger, now, I like ginger very light. I don't like a heavy ginger. It's a strong. It's a strong. It, it is. It's very strong. But this is nice and light. It's just enough to have that hint, you know, when you taste it. It's like, oh, that's that's not bad. I've had some of the stuff where they put so much of it in there, I guess, to give you the full, I don't know, effect. And the full yeah. effect will put you on your back sometimes. It's like, whoa. I think I've tried some of those, especially like the, how they have some of those um, – like health ginger shot type things. And I, I can't do it. I try, I try so hard and I'm just like, my gag reflex doesn't allow it. I'm just like, "Mm, I can't. That was my concern. It doesn't help either. No. And I was a little nervous because I said, well, I'll try the lavender. And he's like, okay. And then I said, how's the ginger? And I'm kind of like, you know, very skeptical. I bet you that cinnamon would be really good in some cider. Uh, he told me that cinnamon tastes really good on pancakes. Ooh, and I was like, I Don't bet it does. I bet it does. Oh, man. Can you okay. imagine? I'm getting hungry. Maple syrup with cinnamon in it on your pancakes. Because this is maple syrup. And I mean, it's it's all natural and handmade. So it's not, and the one thing I did notice is it's not really thick. It's mm-hmm. a thinner syrup. So usually the thinner syrups are handmade because it, it's harder to get the thickening unless you put thickening agents in it. Right. So this is more natural. I just thought it was a lot of fun. I love the little bottles. I was in love with the bottle. It usually means you use less of it too, because usually when it's thinner, it spreads more. It so spreads you more. Yeah. And you don't need to pile it all on to get it. And it's not like so thick you can't eat it. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a kid, there was um, syrup out and it was like more like molasses. And it was like, oh, king syrup. And right. it was oh. very thick. But we had fun. Um, I have seen that everybody has been hitting all my videos and the silly things I posted. Um, it was a fun trip for me. We did go to the witch's grave, and then we found out the warlock's grave was right next to it, and it was the warlock's headstone that was turned backwards. Yeah, um, so you have to go to our last show to check that out. And go to our Facebook page, Tea Time with Mother and Crone, to look at the videos and pictures from Pan's trip because they're really neat. Um, And before we get on our topic for tonight, show 
tell everyone what you have. The other thing that made me hungry, and the, okay. and the history behind it, because I thought it was interesting. This really is a West Virginia thing. Um, back in the day with the coal miners, there were a lot of Italian coal miners in West Virginia, and the wives would have to make something for them to eat. And they're called pepperoni rolls. And this is from Denunzio's, um, which uh, is in Clarksburg. And I was just outside of Clarksburg. And it's a pepperoni roll. It's homemade bread. And they actually take stick pepperoni, cut it up, and put it in here, and then bake it. So all of the wonderful flavoring from the pepperoni bakes into the bread. When I was a kid growing up, this is what we ate a lot of times for lunch. My aunt would make them. As we got older, we made them. I never understood why they didn't have them in Baltimore because it was like, oh, my God, these things are great. You just pick it up and you can chaw on it while you're running out as a kid playing around. These were invented actually by the Italian coal miners' wives who were making lunches for their husbands. And it's... It's a little difficult sometimes to actually get something that you can take into the mine because of the temperature changes. You can't heat something up in the mine when you're down there. And I'm sure cold sandwiches went bad real fast because after a while, you're not going to want to eat a cold sandwich. But the pepperoni rolls were very, very first sold by Giuseppe Argrigo at the Country Club Bakery in Fairmont, West Virginia. Now, I'm from Fairmont, and it was in 1927. So these have been around for a long time. Um, sometimes you can find them in Ohio, West Virginia, all along the Appalachian Trail, because that's where the coal mines are. And if you look, the coal mines go straight up and down. So you'll see them in Appalachia a lot. Um, these are just, these are sold at all the convenience stores in West Virginia. There's about four or five different brands. And I almost didn't make it home with these because I shoved them in my suitcase <laughs> so I could bring them home. It's crazy that you can get them at like room temperature like a Twinkie. It's just crazy. It's just, and there's like pepperoni in that. And if you, if they're a little dry, because it is a dry feat. Um, when we were kids, you dumped them in spaghetti sauce or marinara sauce. Right. Just to give it a little bit more flavor. But these are, are like Everybody has them, and it's so funny because normally they use the stick pepperoni. Sometimes they'll use the sliced pepperoni, but traditionally it was the stick. So, and they're all over. I mean, it's it's kind of funny. Nobody knows about them outside of that area. I mean, and the first thing I do when I go back home is like, mm, or stopping somewhere because I got to get my fix on. Um, I don't make them anymore. It's homemade bread, and I don't know how many of y'all made homemade bread, but it's pain in the butt. Um, but they were, they are from West Virginia. It is a tradition. Um, this one, Denunzio's, is in Clarksburg. Um, there's about three or four other bakeries that, that carry them. Country Club Bakery still carries them. Um, they're delivered all over town to all the little convenience stores. And in West Virginia, we have big supermarkets, but in most of the small towns, it's just a little convenience store. So it's the gas station. It sells soda. It sells fresh produce and sells pepperoni rolls and bread and all the little things like a 7-Eleven. Only there's fresh produce in there. So you're on your way home. We literally stopped, picked up some corn on the cob um, and a baked potato for dinner and I'm like, mm, nope, gotta have these. So, and when I was going through the airport 
he kind of was not happy. And it, But I told him, you know, look, I'm going home. I don't live here anymore. And I really need to take these home. So, of course, he knew part of my family. So, you know, he just slid them back in. And I got to bring them home. So that's a treat if you are into making bread. Or you can buy the bread that's already pre-done. All you got to do is heat it up, you know, let it sit out and thaw out. You can use that too. And just put the pepperoni sticks in there. Usually you do three. You take the pepperoni stick, you cut it into four long ways, four slices. And you put three on each side and then you pinch it in and you pop it in. And these things are just, these are great for the kids. I mean, I don't know why they're not everywhere I, because I want one right now. You just hand it to the kid as they go out the door here, go out and play. And, you know, it's better than peanut butter and jelly because it doesn't slide off. Right. And I mean, we grew up eating them. I, I didn't know that people didn't have them anywhere else. It was a wonderful little treat I brought home along with all the millions of other things that you guys have seen on the show. And we went to the very first Morgantown and it was chocolate, wine, and shine. And yes, they had shine. And they had apple pie shine. And oh my goodness, oh. Man Cave Distilleries knocked it out of the ballpark. Okay. It was wonderful. It's 151 proof. That's as high as you can go in West Virginia. But uh, oh yeah, we had a blast. Um, <laughs> believe it or not, I am pleasantly surprised. They have some pretty good wineries in West Virginia. I'm a sweet wine person, so let me put that out there. I like my sweets. I do, too. And I'm a Moscato fan, and they had some of the sweetest wine and some of the freshest wine. And I am a bit of a snob because usually small wineries just don't quite get it. But mm -hmm. we had six wineries there. We had to taste all of them. Mm -hmm. um, but the sweet wines were really good. So if, if you're town has something like that where they have wine tasting try your local you never know what you're going to find and remember if you're buying local you're supporting a family you're not supporting a business right Absolutely. so i'm always in that you know buy local if you can buy small if you can because it may not be a, a lot but when you buy something like this i'm paying for him to live i'm not paying a corporation Exactly. So the guy that made this. So that's a big thing for me. Absolutely. So while we're talking about some symbols, because this is a, they actually, I left it at work. I forgot to bring it home. I was a little cozy and it says the food of my people and it has a pepperoni roll on it. Oh, that's cool. It's, you, you got, and nobody gets it because everybody at work was like, and I had one at work and I'm like, pepperoni rolls and they're not. <laughs> And I got a lot of, oh. Like, sure, whatever you say. It's good stuff. So, yes, I wanted to talk about symbols. Um, we want to talk about symbols. So the um, I wanted to, well, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about it personally was because with some, with the growing of our show, and I've also experienced it in other platforms, um, the pentacle, for example, is a very misunderstood symbol. Um, and of course, Hollywood doesn't help the cause, but, um, you know, I've gotten recent comments, uh, on videos that I've posted about the pentacle being a satanic witch symbol. And, um, you know, we've 
had our um, first trolls of the show. I know, I was so excited. So <laughs> I, know. I was like, yes, we're somebody's. Um, but, uh, but yeah, again, calling us Satanists and we should be blocked and all this stuff. So that was really fun. But um, so we just thought it was important um, to sort of explain. And of course, a lot of you probably already know, and we're going to go over more than just the pinnacle, but we're going to start there. Um, and Pam has a really awesome book that she has over there um, that has... Yeah, that she got a lucky dibs on, she was telling me. Always check out Barnes & Noble's clearance table. Yes. You will be I, never, I never get that lucky. Um, so I'm just going to start off, and I think we all know what it looks like, but just in case there's any new people, we've seen this, we've seen this symbol here. And Ooh, that is scary. Ooh. This is the wood burned, which is kind of cool. That's where so, they get the, the satanic stuff from, I'm sure. Oh, yes. <laughs> so this is a pentacle, and Pam has more information in her book, The Difference Between a Pentacle and a Pentagram. And you'll see that this is a five-pointed star within a circle which is where they get pentacle from because it's a pentagram which is the first part penta and then the last part of circle which is where you get the cull pentacle it's a combination of the two words so basically the top of the star represents spirit divine or your or true self depending on what tradition you're in um, and not all paths wear the pentacle. This is just broad, you know, um, it's kind of like the, some witches are Wiccan, some Wiccans aren't witches and you know, that whole thing. We're just speaking in general terms here. Um, so we understand not everyone wears the pentacle and all that, but we're just explaining what the symbols mean. All right, so you're looking at the pinnacle. Um, there's some traditions that assign colors to the points of the star. Um, now, the different points of the star are going to represent the different elements. That's going to be air, earth, water, and fire. And it also is said to be the five senses of the human body. Hearing, tasting, all of those. It's also said to represent the hand. Yes. Five points. Yes, I've heard that as well. And Pythagoras, if you read up on him, there's all, the, all of that information. So there's, there's not any Satan in it. We, we don't even, like I said in response to my troll on the other platform, we don't even believe in the guy. Um, but water represents emotions and intuition. Earth represents is physical endurance, strength, and stability. Fire is associated with courage and passion. 
Um, air is connected with knowledge and creative arts. So, and that's a, a general thing. Um, and, a, and it's used as a protection, um, generally, a, a symbol of protection. And I typically use the analogy of, you know, when I started wearing it more, I, I used to wear my pinnacle necklace in the inside of my shirt when I was at work. And then I just got to a point where I was just, you know, untucking it and just wearing it out. And, and I wouldn't like be flashy about it. I would just, you know, start wearing it on the outside of my shirt. And the analogy that I would made it okay was like, well, it's no different than anybody wearing their cross because essentially that's what it is for me, you know, to me. Right. And legally so, they can't make you take it off. It's no different than wearing the star of David or a cross or a crucifix. Right. Now, what I found interesting was the actual pentagram was found in the Tigris Euphrates area on, believe it or not, stoneware from 6,000 years ago. So when we say that it's an old symbol, it's kind of old. So 6,000 years ago, people were putting it on their pottery. Okay, so um, it's been around for that long. So when people are coming up with, oh, you know, that's a a devil symbol, the devil is a Judeo-Christian idea, and that's only about two, 3,000 years old. So when you're looking at things, you know, and Pythagoras, he was the one who brought it out more 4,000 years ago. So we're not talking a symbol that was created, you know, 200 years ago or something like that. This has been around like forever. Um, And the star, the five-pointed star, has been around for even longer. Exactly. So these symbols, many times symbols are used for dual purposes. You start out with it one way and it ends up being used for something else. That's true of the Nazi symbol. Mm -hmm. So if you look at some symbols, they automatically mean something to you because we've seen it so much. When you understand what the symbol means, that's when you can start understanding why people wear it. Exactly. And as we've talked about briefly before, excuse me, um, they are in, if you go back, especially in Europe, those old, old churches, they're everywhere. Those, well, those... You don't even have to go to Europe. Go to St. Petersburg. Yeah. I have pictures yeah. of the church I've posted that has them in the, the spire. Yeah. It's, uh, the Episcopal church had one right there in the spire. And I'm going like, Oh, that's adorable. Right. The Catholic churches. Yeah. So it's like, you know, take a look at those. (laughs) Now, if you really want to go deeper, take an apple, cut it crosswise. This is an old hunting trick. And if you look at it, it forms a star. Any fruit that you cut lengthwise like that, cut across their equator, as they call it, and it Mm -hmm. has a star, means it's edible. Mm. nine times out of 10, it's edible. So if you cut an apple, um, a pear, uh, there's a lot of different small seeded fruits that if you cut across their equator and pull it up and look at it, if it has a star, it's usually edible. Mm. 
So that's mm -hmm. probably where this star started coming around because if you cut an apple that way and you see it and you find out that anything you cut that way you could eat and not die, it's probably where it got its prominence. Now just, you know, that's not a giant leap right there. And also I wanted to point out another difference. <laughs> this is the star that is associated with the Church of Satan. This is a pentacle which is worn by neo-pagans um and also um like i said it we use it for grounding you know usually the ones that wear it um and and yeah we we talked about pythagoras already um but you know it's just one of those things that i wanted to touch on as far as that, like I said, I know a lot of us already know a lot about, you know, and if you go back and look, it's actually in the Kabbalah. Mm -hmm. If you go back and research the Kabbalah, it's right there. So it's, a, it's actually also a Jewish symbol. So, you know, and you know what's funny is like a pentagram is the five pointed star. Like we said, not in a circle. <laughs> How many of us were drawing those? That was like the first star we learned how to draw when we were little. Like, that's how you learned how to draw a star. When you're like a toddler and you learn how to draw. Um, so I always thought that was funny. And if you look at a sheriff's badge. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. A star with a circle around it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because I don't know about any of you who played cowboys and Indians growing up, but if you, you're a cowboy badge your marshal or sheriff or whatever and in real life the sheriff's badges have the five pointed stars many of your police forces have a pentacle as part of their um adornments that they wear so hmm. exactly so a few others i wanted to touch on um another one that we might have seen is the onk Oh, that's a scary one, too. Yes. Um, and this is another one you might have seen, you know, in movies and, and people don't really understand what it is. So the Ankh is an ancient Egyptian symbol of eternal life. And I remember growing up, like I said, I would spend my teenagers in Barnes, you know, Barnes and Noble Books a Million, sitting on those big comfy chairs, just reading all the occult books, all the different, you know, cultures and i loved ancient egypt stuff i just loved all those a anything anything um so i thought it was interesting but according to the egyptian book of the living and the dying the ankh is the key to life one theory is that the loop at the top symbolizes the rising sun the horizontal bar represents the feminine energy and the vertical bar represents the masculine energy and together they combine to form a symbol of fertility and power. Um, and then it says the Ankh is featured on funerary artwork and temple carvings and in reliefs excavated from ancient Egypt. It is traditionally drawn in gold, which is the color of the sun. Because the Ankh is a powerful symbol and because Egyptian influence spanned far beyond the country's current borders, 
The Ankh has been found in many places other than Egypt. Um, Rosicrucians and Coptic Christians used it as a symbol, despite the fact that it was shrouded in mystery for centuries. Even Elvis Presley wore an Ankh pendant among his other jewelry. Mm, interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, today, many comedic recon groups and devotees of Isis invoke the Ankh during rituals. It may be um, in the air to delineate sacred space or used as a ward against evil. One of my oldest friends practices Egyptian witchcraft. And mm. she's got onks everywhere. Mm -hmm. If you start noticing, you will start seeing these symbols. Once you know the symbol, you start mm -hmm. looking and it pops up everywhere. Yes. It's amazing because you then you start taking notice of it. You won't realize how many different things. Um, angels and demons, as well as um, Dan Brown's other book. Da Vinci Code. The da Vinci Code. Love those symbols are old symbols they've been used for thousands and thousands of years and yes. people use them all the time and you don't realize when you see them it's right. like you know you're looking at something like the churches they have the big pentacles in it, and you're going like that's a and it's yeah it's a star with a circle around it it's not scary but you notice the Ankh is in a lot of culture. It is, yeah. A lot it more is. than you would think. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting. Um, the next one I wanted to talk about is the Celtic Shield Knot. <gasps> From the Book of Kells. I have that. I love the Book of Kells. So the Celtic Shield Knot is used for warding and protection. Shield knots have appeared in cultures around the world and have taken a variety of different forms. They ha are almost universally square in shape, and the knotwork of the design ranges from simple to complex. I've always loved Celtic um, artwork and with the knots and the different because they are they can be so intricate and complex, and it's just so. I love that. If you see some old old Bibles. Mm -hmm. um, from Ireland, they have all of that scroll type work along the edges. Oh my yes, God. yeah, because Mike, Mike is Irish, and we would always go. We always go to St. Augustine for our anniversary, and we walk up George Street, which has like one, like it's, it has like fifty shops. This is little like strip, and there is this Irish lady, and it's the, called the Irish Shop, and it's everything Ireland, like the it's everything she's owned by an irish and we would go there every year and we would look up stuff and look up the um the you know coat of arms and all the stuff and it was just it was really neat um but it says in the celtic version a series of knots is formed in other cultures such as the early mesopotamian era the shield is simply a square with a loop at each of the four corners so if you see that, you know it's from the Mesopotamian area, not the Celtic. So that's interesting. Um, fans of Celtic artwork occasionally get variations of this piece as tattoos or wear them as talismans of protection. In modern Celtic reconstructionist groups, the shield knot is sometimes invoked as a ward to keep negative energy away. 
In some traditions, the corners of the knot are meant to represent the four elements of earth, air, fire, and water, although it's important to note that Celtic spirituality is used based upon the three realms of earth, sea, and sky. Yes, very similar to the Druids. Yes. Um, and then it just goes on to mention, if you're interested in following a Celtic pagan path, there are a number of books that are useful for your reading list. Although there are no written records of the ancient Celtic people, there are a number of reliable books um, that are worth reading, which, of course, is the case for a lot of... Right. Uh, and if you look, I got my book of Kells on a CD. Mm, nice. So I, it you know, flips into your computer, but it's a complete book of Kells. So nice. if you're really interested in it, um, I think I invested 10 bucks in it. Oh, so. nice. But it has all the symbology. My late husband, Griffith, is Irish. So we did a lot of Irish things. So yeah. I, I got to know those. The Book of Kelso, if you ever look at any of the Irish dancers, the girls' skirts, mm -hmm. they hand embroider those little suckers in. And a lot of them, if you look, the patterns, the Book of Kells, they'll pick a pattern for the girls to wear on their skirts. Oh, wow. So the Irish dancers wear them. Um, anything with the Book of Kells, there's all, there's like, I don't know, a million symbols mm -hmm. in the book. So you can really use a lot of them. And they're beautiful symbols. They really are. Oh, nice. Yeah, I mean, I've always loved the Celtic knots. I mean, absolutely. So the next one I have, there's a few Egyptian symbols, actually, um, because, like you said, they're popular. Um, the next one is the eye of Horus, which if you look at your penal gland mm -hmm. is exactly that shape. We're going to talk about that. I love that. <laughs> Nature repeats itself. Mm -hmm. So it says the eye of Horus is sometimes referred to as the widget and represents Horus, the Egyptian falcon headed God. So if you have ever looked at um, hieroglyphics or any sort of Egyptian pantheon and you've seen the Egyptian God with the falcon head, that's Horus. That's who we're talking about. Um, they have a lot of that when King Tut's thing went around to all the museums. Mm -hmm. um, all the museums have done a, a revival at one time or another with King Tut, and they have a lot of that symbol out, symbology yeah. all over everything. Right, right. So the eye was used as a symbol of both protection and healing. When appearing as the Ujjat, it represents the right eye of Ra, the sun god. The same image in reverse represents the left eye of Toth, I don't think that's how you say it, but T-H-O-T-H, the god of magic and wisdom. So it's interesting that it's the same eye, the same image, but it's two different gods, depending on if it's flipped left or right, and it represents two different things. So the symbolism of eyes appears in many different cultures and civilizations. It's no surprise that the image of an all-seeing eye is common in today's society. In Reiki, the eye is often associated with knowledge and enlightenment, the third eye. And it typically is connected to the true soul. 
And then it talks about, um, it doesn't talk specifically about how it looks like the pineal gland, but it, it does talk about it being basically the third eye. Um, it just talks more about the history. Um, the eye symbol was painted on the boats of Egyptian fishermen before they set out to cast their nets along the Nile River. This protected the boat from evil curses and its occupants from those who might wish them harm. Boy, if only it was that easy. Yeah, really. <laughs> the Egyptians also marked this symbol on coffins so that the person held within would be protected in the afterlife. In the Book of the Dead, the dead are led into the afterlife by Osiris, who offers the deceased soul nourishment from the eye of Ra, or the sun god. The notion of the evil eye is a universal one. Ancient Babylonian texts make reference to this and indicate that even 5,000 years ago, people were trying to protect themselves from the malevolent thoughts of others. Use this symbol as one of protection against someone who might harm you or your loved ones. Invoke it around your property or wear it on a talisman or amulet as a protective device. So even 5,000 years ago, people were trying to... Even back then, people were shielding themselves from other people's energy and, and stuff. It's amazing. We think that this energy is a new thing. I know. I know. Yeah. It's been around it's been, a long time. Right. Exactly. Um, and so they were talking about the eye of raw. So now we're going to talk about the eye of raw, which was the opposite. Um, and so again, invoked as a sigil of protection. And it basically just actually repeats the same exact thing. So we will move on. Now, this is one I wanted to make sure I touched on. Ah, yes. Hecate's wheel. Hecate, Hecate, tomato, tomato. I am a firm believer. Some people will say that's not how you say it. However you want to say it is how you say it. So this is her wheel. And it is a symbol used by some traditions of Wicca. Now, we are an open tradition, a Corellian nativist tradition. So we are based on. Did you hit something? Mm-mm. Just keep going. Record to your computer. Oh, I love my computer. I really do. Okay. It interrupted us. It's okay. We're going to keep going. Okay. So, um, the Karelian tradition, we are based in Celtic and Native American roots, but we're open. So if you want to explore another path, you can do that. We're cool with it. Um, so you can... And of course, you can have whatever deity you want. You can work with whoever you want. Um, and I think I mentioned Hecate came to me a couple weeks ago in a meditation. So I wanted to make sure I talked about her. Um, it seems to be, so this particular article mentions that it seems to be most popular among feminist traditions and represents the three aspects of the goddess, maiden, mother, and crone. 
And um, we, of course, Mother and Crone, inspiration for our name. <laughs> um, this labyrinth-like symbol has origins in Greek legend, where Hecate was known as guardian of the crossroads before she evolved into a goddess of magic and sorcery. According to the fragmentary texts of the Chaldean oracles, Hecate is connected to a maze which spiraled around like a serpent. This maze was known as Strophilos of Hecate or Hecate's wheel and refers to the power of knowledge and life. Traditionally, a Hecate-style labyrinth has a Y in the middle rather than the typical X shape found at the center of most labyrinths. Images of Hecate and her wheel have been found on first century curse tablets. First century curse tablets. Although there seems to be some question about whether the wheel shape itself is actually Hecate's domain or that of Aphrodite. There was some occasional overlap of goddesses in the classical world. We well, have to remember, too, they're bouncing back and forth between the right. Greco, Roman, Celtic, because exactly. you had Rome occupying, you know, parts of Ireland and England and stuff like that. So you have a, a, a rolling over or I, I kind of like do the Borg thing because they assimilate. And exactly. that's what happens. So a lot of the symbols you're going to see it in different cultures, which is kind of cool because if another culture has it, it might mean a something a little different or right. it might mean the same thing. I mean, the swastika is actually part of the, the Native American Hopi tribe. Right. And, of course, we all know what it stands for nowadays. It's a Nazi symbol. But back in the day, the, the Hopis used it. The right. Hopi tribe had it all over their stuff. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it, that can happen. Um, and then it says Hecate is honored every November 30th at the Festival of Hecate Trivia, which is a day that honors Hecate as a goddess of crossroads. The word trivia refers not to minuscule bits of information, but to the Latin term for a place where three roads meet. Oh, trivia. Tri plus via. Trivia. It's pronounced trivia. Via means road in Italian. Oh, well, there you have go. the via Appalachia or the via. Via means road or pathway, uh, you know, something that's established as a road. It's called via. Okay. Well, then there you go. So, yeah. So, trivia well, means three roads. There we go. And she was always the goddess of the crossroads whenever you have a question because mm -hmm. crossroads at one time were very sacred spaces because it's where right. two things it's you know where everything came together so it was her it was her domain right um let's see do, 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 do. well and i think we need to just touch on this because we do cover the sabbath so we'll just talk about the sun wheel and this is just very basic, but it breaks it up. Looks like a pizza. <laughs> it does look like a cake, a pizza, or a pie. I know. Pick your poison. <laughs> so it's, right, I know. So it says, sometimes referred to as a sun wheel, the symbol represents the wheel of the year. So that's what you'll probably most commonly you know, hear to it referred as. 
um, and the eight Wiccan Sabbaths. So the sun wheel comes from the solar cross, which was a calendar used to mark the solstices and equinoxes in some pre-Christian European cultures. In addition to being represented by a wheel or cross, sometimes the sun is portrayed simply as a circle or a circle with a point in the center. The sun has long been a symbol of power and magic. The Greeks honored the sun god with prudence and piety, according to James Frazier. Who that makes me want to watch Outlander. <laughs> James Frazier. Yeah, uh, I hear that voice. I know. That's Scottish accent. Yeah, uh, give me a Scottish burr any day of the week. <laughs> I know. Uh, anyways, because of the sun's sheer power, they made offerings of honey rather than wine. They knew that it was important to keep a deity of such power from becoming intoxicated. That's interesting. Ooh. I know. The Egyptians identified several of their gods with a solar disk above the head, indicating that the deity was a god of the light. Naturally. Oh, go ahead. That is where we get our halos from in our pictures when they started doing pictures of the saints and christ they did mm -hmm. the halo it was from the greek right there you go and then it says naturally the sun is linked with fire and masculine energy invoke the sun to represent fire in ritual and for associations with direction south we know that celebrate the sun's power at litha the midsummer solstice or its return at yule and we've talked about that before as well um, and then there's just a couple others that I want to hit on just really quickly before we move on. Um, so this is the Molnir or Thor's hammer. And isn't this pretty? I love the way that one's done. I know. It's it even like it's almost stitched, you know, kind of like. It it's a wood, all of these are wood burned. They did a really nice job on that. They did. And I don't know, there's like no photo credit, but this is learnreligions.com. This is a good, I thought this is a good website for a lot of like pagan articles and stuff. Um, so this is typically used in pagan traditions, like Norse pagan traditions, such as Asatru. Um, and this symbol also called a Molnir represents the power of Thor over lightning and thunder, which I particularly love because I love my storms. So I'm always thanking him when the, there's the thunderstorms because that's my time to regenerate. Um, the early pagan Norsemen wore the hammer as an amulet of protection long after Christianity had moved into their world. And it is still worn today both by Asatrar and other of Norse heritage. Um, Molnir was a handy tool to have around because it's always returned to whoever had thrown it. So just like it was like a boomerang. It, whoever threw it, it would return. Um, interestingly, in some legends, Molnir is portrayed not as a hammer, but as an axe or club. In Snorri Strolson's prose Edda, the poetic Eddas, um, it is said that Thor could use Molnir to strike as firmly as he wanted, whatever his aim, and the hammer would never fail. 
If he threw it at something, it would never miss and never fly so far from his hand that it would not find its way back. Images of Molnir were used throughout the Scandinavian countries. It was often found replicated at blots, which are um, rituals, types of rituals, um, and at other rituals and ceremonies like weddings, funerals, or baptisms. In areas of Sweden, Denmark, and Norway, small wearable versions of the symbol have been unearthed in graves and burial carns. Interestingly, the shape of the hammer seems to vary a bit by region. In Sweden and Norway, Molnir is portrayed as rather T-shaped. Its Icelandic counterpart is more cross-like, and examples found in Finland have a long curved design across the bottom brace of the hammer. In contemporary pagan religions, this symbol can be invoked to protect and defend. So just like the pentacle, it's another protection symbol. There seems to be a lot of that. Um, I guess you have to remember back before people understood how things actually worked. Um, I think it's people use a lot of symbols to keep away storms, keep away famine, keep away, you know, those kinds of things, ghosts mm -hmm. or evil spirits, I mean, evil eye, whatever. But I think um, I find it interesting that they used every culture uses some kind of symbology to keep evil or bad or not good juju away from them. Right. Yeah. So we have all this protection. And I don't think a lot of us realize, like a lot of us wear jewelry. Jewelry was originally designed not to wear like this, you know, like, oh, look at my right. rings. It was meant to protect you. Yeah, I know. It's it's really interesting. So for um, all of us who run around with earrings in our ears and things like that, originally, this was all for protection. Yeah, I I really think it's interesting. I mean... It's definitely. And then the last one I wanted to talk about was just to honor my um, 90s uh, childhood because I had this all over my Trapper Keepers and it's still a symbol that I love today because I, to me, it's all about balance and uh, I just love it. But the yang and yang, yes. That yeah, is yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk about this. Um, it's more, excuse me, guys, I have an eyelash or something stuck in my eye. Live recording. Um, it's more Eastern spirituality than Wicca, but um, like I said, you can do whatever you want. There's no Bible, so whatever, whatever you please. Um, so the yin-yang can be found all over the place and is perhaps one of the most commonly recognized symbols. I think I even when I had, um, what were they like, pogs? What were they called? I don't know. Oh, God, pogs. Oh, my kids. Yeah, pogs. Pogs, yes. Yes, that so, is what they're called. Okay. Nothing. I'm not going yeah. nuts. I had yin yangs. I had like tie dye yin yangs. I had like metallic yin yangs. I had like crazy number of pogs. I would go to the flea market and stock up on pogs, and I would have those like thumper thing. Oh man, yeah, going, going back drove me nuts with them. 
-hmm. But that symbol has been around. I remember it, it was really big back in the 60s and 70s during our, you know, love child days. Yeah. Our yeah. You always saw the peace symbol and the yin yang. Yeah. Yeah. The, they were always like. Always. Like if they weren't on the same page, they were on a page apart. Right. They were always together. It says it, it represents balance, the polarity of all things. Um, the black and white parts are equal, and each surrounds a dot of the opposite color, showing that there is balance and harmony within the universe's forces. It is the balance between light and dark, a connection between two opposing forces. And I think that's always why I love the yin-yang, because I so firmly believe that everything is a balance and although it's so hard to navigate sometimes it's you know and it sucks and it's all of these things that we get so frustrated in life but it's just you know it's i like to think of it as nobody is a hundred percent good we have our dark side right and we have our light side and that balance is what we we play with every day exactly so and that symbol is just a visual of what we go through every day because you may have a bad temper, but you can take that bad temper and use it for something good. Like if you get very passionate about a hun world hunger, you take that anger. Oh, I'm so angry that these kids are starving and you do something with it. So right. it's taking the balance of the bad, so to speak, anger and placating it with the work that you're going to do and it makes it a whole. So right. it, to me, it's a very, very powerful symbol. I, I agree. Um, it says sometimes the white portion appears at the top and other times it's the black originally believed to be a Chinese symbol. The yin yang is also a Buddhist representation of the cycle of rebirth and of Nirvana itself. In Taoism, it is also known as the Taiji and symbolizes Tao itself. Although the symbol is traditionally Asian, similar images have been found in the shield patterns of Roman centurions dated back to about 430 CE. There is no scholarly evidence as to a connection between these images and the ones found in the Eastern world. The yin yang might be a good symbol to invoke in rituals calling for balance and harmony. Makes sense. Oh, yeah. um, if you seek polarity in your life and are on a quest for spiritual rebirth, considering using, consider using the yin yang as a guide. In some teachings, the yin yang are described as a mountain and a valley. As the sun climbs over the mountain, the shady valley is illuminated, while the opposite face of the mountain loses light. Visualize the shift in sunlight, and as you watch the light and dark exchange places, what was once hidden will be revealed. I That's like interesting. I, I like I said, everybody had that symbol on their books, on their clothes. I mean, you had I, it everywhere. I think um, even Lisa Frank had yin yangs and peace signs. I'm sitting here thinking, I don't know of many witches who really don't even have it close to their altar, if not on their altar. Or tattoos of it. Well, uh, yeah, tattoos were, were crazy back then. But yeah, it has, it's a powerful symbol. It really is because it does show that everything, everybody, the first question you get when someone finds out you're a witch, are you a good witch or bad witch? For me, right. it depends on the mood I'm in. 
Um, I'm going to be honest. I get angry and upset and yeah, I want to turn you into a toad, but you know, that balance comes back, but that symbol just shows who we are. Yeah. Yeah. And I've always believed that as well. It's like, uh, it's a balance. I mean, because, and I heard of something too. It's like, if you're too, if you're too nice, you're taken advantage of, if you're a dictator, nobody's going to like, you know what I mean? Well, and I'm not, I don't have that personality in any, anyway, but I mean, in terms of leadership, it's like, you know, you can't. I make a both. great dictator. I'm not benevol- benevolent at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? But no, it is. It's, it's a very important symbol. And I think um, a lot of people, and I say this freely, a lot of people use symbols and don't know what it means. Right, exactly. Or do you know what that means? Right. Or like what the examples I was giving is like they see symbols and then they talk out of their ass and they just don't do their research or they and they just want to make comments that they know nothing about. But, you know, it's and that's what I want to talk about. It's like you don't have any clue what you're talking like, don't get me wrong. I love all the hooky spooky shows. Like I said, I'm a horror movie fan. And yes, I sometimes roll my eyes when it's like, oh, here we go. Another like. Evil witch. Yes. Like R.L. Stein just came out with a uh, freaking Fear Street on Netflix that I'm so excited about. It's even rated R. Like. Really? Yeah. R.L. Stein? Goosebumps? Yeah. yeah. It's Fear Street. So Fear Street, he wrote before Goosebumps came out. And yeah, I know Street, some Goosebumps with my kids. And Fear Street was the teenage stuff. Oh, oh, it was the older stuff. Yeah. So, like, once I got out of Goosebumps, I graduated Fear Street. But he actually wrote all the Fear Street stuff before they came to him about Goosebumps. I got to meet Arl Stein a few years oh. ago. You, you saw the picture. Yeah, I did. And- I'm jealous. Haley and I, Haley and I got to meet him. Um, and he did a speaking and he, and he told us that, um, he told us that information. So, um, but yeah, it's rated R it's on and it comes out. Yeah. I think there's two out now and the next one is releasing next week, I think, but it's like 1994, 1974 and then 1664. And guess what the last one is? About a witch. Like, it, it's three different movies, one story, all this evil stuff is happening, and it all leads back to, like, a curse that a witch did or something. You know, I mean, I'm still going to watch it because I love R.L. Stein, and I'm sure it's going to be, you know, I still will love it, but it's just like, oh, can we do something else already? <laughs> it's yeah, like, but, you know, I mean, that's that's been the go-to, the, the witch that hexed or cursed or... My and, thing is, though, is, like, can you please separate a hall? Like, can you be not so, like, airheaded to not be able to separate, like, Hollywood from, like, you yeah. know, can you please just educate yourself before you are so rude and, you know, um, and people. People need to understand that symbols, basic symbols, the swastika is one. It's just, you know, it's right. lines. And it was used by the, the Hopi Indians. So, you know, you see it on their their pottery and in their weavings and things of that nature. And the first thing everybody goes, oh, they're Nazis. Um, think about that for a minute. 
let that soak into your head. That symbol is so old. That's what Hitler used was that symbol because it's such an ancient symbol that he used it. And if you look at it, it is a crossroads with directions. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. But yeah. yeah, it's a very, very old symbol. But again, if you don't know the symbol and you go running your mouth, don't be surprised if someone who does know the symbol comes up and corrects you. Right. Um, and that's what happens with a lot of wannabes. We'll start wearing symbols and it's like, well, do you know what that really means? Right. And exactly. that's a great one because when they stand there with their mouth open, go, no, then you do it. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have a quick commercial and you can handle that one, girl. <laughs> well, just remember um, every week you can email uh, tea time MC at gmail.com. So that's T E A T H Y M E like the herb MC at gmail.com. And the only requirement is to go to our YouTube channel, same name tea time with mother and crone. And same as our Facebook page, just like and subscribe if you want to be notified so you can see these live, click the little bell, and you get a little sneak peek, be able to see us when we've recorded before we stream it on Sunday to Facebook. So um, the keyword this week is going to be symbols, symbols. So thank you all for your support. We Love you guys. We really appreciate it. We have so much fun doing this every week. And soon, before we know it, we have another holiday coming up already. I know. It's didn't we just have one? <laughs> I really yeah, we did. We really did. <laughs> this is an interesting holiday that's coming up. This is one that I and I know you're gonna laugh. The Catholic Church tried to take over. You don't say. I do say. And I found it absolutely quite interesting that um, in Baltimore there are some of the older churches um, that are more European, so to speak. Uh, Mm -hmm. And they're more ingrained in the culture. Uh, The one I'm thinking of is St. Elizabeth of Hungary. And that church still celebrates loaf mass. Mm, That's what it's called, loaf mass. And if you bring in the bread, when they announce it, they will bless your bread, your loaf of bread. And a lot of the old, now we're talking, you know, great-grandmothers will bake a loaf of bread and take it in to be blessed because it's a big thing. And I find it interesting that, you know, the church grabbed llamas, and made it loaf mass. Just, just a little thing there. But yeah. um, it is pretty cool. Lamas is interesting. It is a harvest. It is, and if you've ever lived on a farm, and you know anything about that good stuff, um, you will understand that the first wheat, the early wheat, is coming in at this point in time, and it's called early wheat because it's the earlier wheat. And by this time, you're harvesting the first good wheat that's coming out. This is what you take and make your bread with. And, this and is llamas, what, 
is also known as Lunasa, which others might know that, it, and it's August 1st, generally, um, August 1st. So that's what we're talking about. And the song that goes with that is John Barleycorn. And it's a very old Celtic song. And I have a friend who is a music professor at um, Loyola University in Maryland. And she actually found the old um, sheet music. Oh, and nice. she can play it on the guitar. And we actually sang John Barleycorn. I had oh. never heard the melody. I knew the words. I just never knew the melody. I don't read sounds like that. I don't either. That sounds like it would be a, <laughs> that sounds like it would John Barleycorn. <laughs> John Barleycorn. You can look it up. It's an old song. Um, and the words are, are very, if you read it, it's about harvesting John Barleycorn. And that's why when we do this wonderful little, I like to say llamas because I, I always mess up everything else. I'm easier llamas. It's easier for my mouth it to do. It took me a long time to figure out Lunasa, trust Lunasa. Um, you get it. I can sort of get it, but you, you take your bread it. and you make a man out of it. And then you cut up John Barleycorn, <laughs> stabbing. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. Lovely. A lot of the, um, yeah, a lot of traditions will bake, uh, and you do what we do. You you go buy the the pay, the dough already, and mm -hmm. or you buy crescent rolls or you know whatever rolls, and you make a body, head, arms, and legs, and a belly, and you bake it. And when you bring it out, then you cut John Barleycorn the dough boy well yeah and this is also the time that you uh corn dollies is a good time to this is a good time to make those um and bake your bread you do you know do your bread recipes there's all different kinds of bread recipes you can do i want to do that john barley now um I, it's interesting i it's an old old thing that when i used to um in Baltimore, we had a group of us crones who are elders, and we would have a teaching every month. We would meet together, and, and we would have 20 or 30 people there, and we did llamas one time, and I baked a little, you know, look like a Pillsbury Doughboy, and uh, not many of, most of the people were coming to this were just learning or had so many questions, and we would perform teaching rituals, which is what we do in virtual circle. And we brought John Barleycorn out. And of course, I know what's going to happen to him. They're going to cut him up, you know, so I'm bringing him out. And she grabs this big old knife, you know, and she comes at me with the knife and she stabs him. And it was like, <gasps> you know, it scared everybody half to death. But the song John Barleycorn talks about it. Poor John Barleycorn. Um, but that's that's one of the things. Another great thing is your corn has come in this time of year. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where you get your corn husk to make your corn dollies with and the, the silk out of that to do, make the hair and all with. But you also make a lot of corn type food. So this is where you yeah. do your cornmeal mush. You do your tortilla chips. You do all kinds of cool things with the it's corn yeast cakes you can do it's like a popular time to do all your homemade breads um you can do 
you know. And, and this is the time, you know, when you start talking about and thinking about the first harvest. Now, I just left West Virginia sun, last Sunday because we shot the show when I was there. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm hoping, to get, okay, I was like, I was so worried about the connection because the internet back there is a little sketchy. But um, they had a lot of corn was in. And this is like, you're getting towards the end of the corn now because the corn's been in for a while. So everybody has already taken their corn, has cooked it, um, dried it, made their chips with it. Now the wheat's coming in, your barley's gonna start coming in. And believe it or not, a little bit of the rye grasses are coming in. Mm -hmm. So this is the time when you had so much that you could actually bake. And you did a lot of baking this time. This is when you took it up and had it ground uh, in the grinder at the um, top of the river. Because that's how they made the grinding wheels go around was running it through a river. That's where you get your mills from. Yep. I like and that. This is the time of year when you can do it. Now, this was... This will be a cool time if you have never made bread to maybe try it. It is warm enough now that you can probably rise it if you put it on the top of your refrigerator up high enough um, because the yeah. cold air doesn't go up that high. So the top of your refrigerator or the top of your cabinets is where you need to put your bread to rise it. Um, then you bring it, punch it down, rise it again, bring it down, and then make your shapes with it. And Making the shapes with kids is awesome. If yeah. you don't want to go through baking the bread, you can buy it already done, uh, frozen. I think Pillsbury makes it. Um, yeah, probably so. Yeah, and you can let it you let it thaw out, but you you still have to rise it. But once it's risen and you bring it down again and you knead it again, then you let the kids get in on it and let no. them. Make all kinds of shapes, whatever they want. I mean, when mine were little, they used to make all kinds of, you know, silly shapes with dogs and, you know, oh, let's make a cat. Sure. Go for it. You know, right. uh, I always, if I was making bread, I would give them their little piece and this one, that little piece. And then I would make the actual bread that we would eat, but they would make little doodads with it. You know, you bake it, of course. And they, Oh, look what I made. You know, it's really know. cool, but that's a fun thing to do. And it's also, um, it's interesting to make your own bread if you've never made bread before. Yeah. I mean, I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, and I also wanted to touch on, because we are talking about Lunasa, this is where the Celtic sun god Lu comes in. So want to talk about Lu. Um, so he, again, is the Celtic god of the sun who um, is prominently in Irish legends, I mean, you'll hear about him. I mean, Lou, oh, Luna. Yeah, he's everywhere. Um, so he is, again, commemorated at Lunasa, which is the beginning of August, when the sun is at full strength and the corn is sun yellow. Uh, Lunasa corresponds with Lamas, one of the eight Sabbaths, when the sun god is sacrificed back into the land and we are reminded that winter is on its way. And late in Irish prehistory, there were believed to be battles for control of the land among the gods. Lou had a magic spear that was alive and was so bloodthirsty that it would only rest if its head was laid in, sleeping, in a sleeping potion of 
pounded poppy leaves. When it was withdrawn, it would thrash and roar. Fire exploded from it, and it would rip through the enemy in battle. Lou also fought with a rod sling, which was said to appear in the sky as a rainbow, and the Milky Way was called Lou's Chain. I thought that was interesting. Um, that was really big in um, Irish mythology. Yes. Um, and then it says the Celtic sun god Lou was often described as a powerful warlike figure. Um, and then it said, oh, it's just sort of repeating it. Um, so that's Lou. And then it says sacrifice reap what you have sown. So it's just going more into what Lamas represents. It's when goddess becomes the earth mother. It's time to harvest the seeds that have been planted. So again, what reiterating what you were saying, um, the God sacrifices himself knowing he is the, he is only renewed by doing so gives himself to become the harvest so that all life can survive the months ahead. Again, because we're getting closer to Yule and the winter months. Um, and I also wanted to go over some correspondences really quickly. So colors, of course, you're going to have your browns, your tans, your greens, your yellows, your golds, your oranges. You're yeah, going to yeah. start thinking of those early fall colors, still like summer litha, but you're kind of leaning into fall. Yeah, a couple color changes in the trees. Not right. much, just a little yeah. bit. Right. Um, and some stones are going to be citrine, clear quartz, carnelian, gold topaz, um, peridot are some good ones. All and then your we orange and yellow stones, basically. Right. Basically, yeah. I mean, you're going to correspond with the, you know, colors that we talked about. I was trying to look up that John Barleycorn Must Die song. I couldn't find it. Oh, my uh, gosh. That thing is older than the hills. I know. I was trying to look it up. Um, and then also, deities. Um, actually, John Barleycorn did pull up as a deity for, for um, in one All of right. the... All right. Here it is. Oh, you John found it. Barleycorn Must Die. Um, it's a studio album by Traffic. And you can get it on your. Okay. I was, looking, I was looking on Pinterest. I didn't pull up a web page. It's probably. Uh, yeah, it's John Barleycorn Must Die. And everybody has a different version of it. Uh, it is the fourth studio album by the English rock band Traffic. It was released in 1970. So, mm. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that, that old. That's right a tad bit old. But, um, again, John Barleycorn, um, if you go to um, Wikipedia and actually read the actual John Barleycorn, um, right. it is interesting. Um, you have to go and really research it. But John Barleycorn must die. You look at the words. Um, it has the words to the song. It's rather interesting. You can get it done by some traditional yeah, you folk groups, such as um, Penny Davies. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the older rock groups. Um, a lot of the older um, pagan groups would sing it, like Reclaiming and, and those groups mm -hmm. um, actually have it. So... Oh, that's cool. Well, you guys can look it up. It's but an English and Scottish folk song. And um, it. so if you get a Scottish version, um, 
again, it's it's really old. It has been around forever. Um, That's cool. Oh, also some animals associated with llamas, um, roosters, calves, stags, um, and then also for myth mythological animals, you have phoenixes, griffins, and centaurs. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Hi, represented, huh? Griffins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Griffin is actually the um, Irish. Griffith, my name is Welsh. Welsh, right. But they were Irish. Right. You got to understand the Irish, the Welsh, and the Scots are all mixed up. All mixed up, yeah. Um, and then let's see. There was also uh, some of the incense you can use. Um, aloes, rose, rose hips. I'm not going to burn it this time. We're not going <laughs> to burn it. No. Rosemary, chamomile, passion flower, frankincense, and sandalwood. Now, if you remember, this is the time of year where you're going to start drying out your herbs anyway. Um, your rosemary, you should start snipping pretty soon or pinching off the edges so you get a round bush. You don't end up with a tall tree. Um, right. But you're going to want to start bringing that stuff in, turning it upside down, and letting it dry out anyway. So you mm -hmm. have to imagine if you don't have any way to store or hold on to your stuff, you have to dry it out. That's you have to before electricity and you know all that good stuff so all, as your herbs are coming in now your early corn your early wheat your flowers are coming in so you grind them up and this is where you get different herbs in the breads this is where they started mixing herbs with the bread to, to help keep the bread have a fresher taste because mm -hmm. after it sits for a couple of days it gets a little on the the stalish side right so, yeah um in order to make it go farther because you don't know how much you were getting in to put away for winter so you you were very sparingly using what you had because your <laughs> corn and stuff once it's seeded will sit for a while you can keep that through the winter and this is the first of three harvest festivals we celebrate mm -hmm. so keep in mind this is our first harvest festival so this is where we start talking and showing our children where we planted. Now, the words to John Barleycorn are, um, and these three men made a solemn vow John Barleycorn would die. They've plowed, they've sown, they've harrowed, thrown clods upon his head. That's talking about how you, you plow the ground, mm -hmm. you sow the seed, you harrowed, and that means you've cleaned it all up, you've buried it. Um, that's an old English word. And then you throw clods. You're, you're covering him up. So you're actually talking about planting John barley corn. That's cool. You're planting barley and corn. That's cool. So that's how it goes. So And it goes on and it talks about, now, let's take it one step further. How do you make beer? Ah. barley and corn like that, it that's where you get moon yeah, and, and you can also it did say for llamas um when i was looking it did say also some other foods you could do was um like berries and apples but it did mention making bread but also making beer so it right. did mention it as well and in the song talks about little sir john sprang up 
his head and so amazed them all. They've let him stand till midsummer's day, and he looks both pale and wan, meaning pale and tired. And they talk about um, there's beer all in the barrel and brandy in the glass. So oh, wow. this, this is a really old song. I mean, it's it's kind of a fun song. Um, and then little little Sir John with his nut brown bowl proved the strongest man at last. There's beer all in the barrel and brandy in the glass. But little Sir John with his nut brown bowl proved the strongest man at last. That's cool. So you're making your beer now because you finally got your harvest in. Anybody's had grain alcohol? The grain is normally corn. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. So you eat and get drunk. That's well, cool. You imbibe a little. Right. Um, but it, it, it kind of talks about John Barleycorn and it talks about they planted him. He grew. He got a beard, which is the corn getting the silk and it, it's a silly little song, but um, it kind of explains how things happen. We plant, we planted in the spring. You grow it all the way through. Now you're harvesting it. What are you going to turn it into? Well, of course, mm. you're going to turn it into bread, um, into meal of some sort, um, flour. Uh, flour would keep a long time. That's why they would take it up to the mill and have the mill run it around and make it into a flour. So you take corn and that's how you get cornmeal and then you make cornmeal mush or fried mush and all that good stuff. That's cool. Well, yeah, I'm excited. I, that's my childhood. <laughs> I, between the pepperoni rolls and the moonshine and wine and the freaking. Oh, I'm telling you, girl, um, I went I'm, back, I went back to the mountains. If you, Go on the website. Um, I mean, on our Facebook page, I did post some of my lovely pictures. Um, the lovely ladies that you see in there, there's no mistaking that we're related. Um, <laughs> some of my cousins, everybody was like, show my pictures at work. They're going, oh my God, your jeans are really strong. I'm like, yeah, they're strong. Um, we look alike. Can't help it. Uh, and and it's, it's funny because when we go places, um, there are cousins who look more alike than other cousins. Like right. I have two sister cousins. One of them looks like me and the other one looks like my other cousin. And, and right. you'll see that in the picture. And I don't know how it happened, but we all freaking sound alike. Oh my gosh. That's too when funny. we were in the graveyard, you'll hear all of us talking because we found that there was a guy there who was actually, um, he was the groundskeeper and yeah. he was telling us, Oh yeah, the warlock's graves over here. And there's a black, uh, Tombstone over there, it's been turned around backwards. I mean, this guy was full of information. So you hear all of us talking in the background, and um, my roommate's going, Y'all sound alike. I'm like, oh my <laughs> God, we really. And of course, my twang was worse then. I've had a week now, too. Right. So, to level them. Get rid of <laughs> some of that twang. I, now I, I'm told I sound like I'm really from Baltimore because I had to go back to my Baltimore twang so that I could be understood at work. Right. Yes, yeah, so bad. Um, I got on the phone at work with somebody. They were having an issue and they called me and I was walking them through it. And I used to speak like that all the time. I had to learn how to speak in Baltimore. So when I do speaking, I, I have that, you know, very monotone and I can talk very clearly. But I was on the phone with someone from work and I'm, I'm home, you know. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, 
yeah, y'all now, <laughs> you know, and she was like, oh my God. That's funny. She was like, can you? Well, I, I notice that sometimes whenever I'm talking to someone, you know, in a different area like that with an accent, I'll sort of match theirs, but. Uh, I just slide back into it and it's, it's really bad. My kids used to joke years ago that if I was on the phone for 10 minutes, they couldn't understand me for a week. That's funny. Well, and, I'm glad you had such a nice trip. But I enjoyed seeing all the pictures. It was fun. It was a fun time. Um, there are a bunch of things coming up here. Wow. We've got Witch Fest going on. We've got, um, mm -hmm. which we're covering um, by us. I mean, the Corellian tradition is covering. Uh, Sir Ed is up there having a blast from what I'm seeing. I'm so jealous. Yeah, so Cloud jealous. was Cloud, the pagan rapper, was performing. Lord Don Lewis well, is speaking. Cloud is up for an award. Yes. And I think... Um, I voted. By the time... I did too. By the time this streams on Sunday, voting will be over. But I think today, Wednesday, if you're watching this live, today is the last day. I think I saw today. I think but, it's um, Sunday, Yeah. Yeah. But if people are seeing this Sunday, it would be past the time. But but maybe, you know, I mean, it's a lot of fun things are going up now. People are starting to gear up already for Samhain. So um, we've got another festival. We've got another holiday between Lamas and Samhain. So, I mean, that's Maybon and that's our Thanksgiving. So mm -hmm. just keep in mind that for the next couple months, things are going to hit hard and fast. So we're going to try to cover the holidays like we always do and give you a heads up because there's a lot of cool things that you can do. Remember, if you don't teach your kids, someone else will. And yes. you might not we're like gonna, what they're teaching them. And we're going to go lots more in depth next week. And we hope you enjoyed the show tonight. We talked about some symbols and got us jump started on Lamas and Lunasa and check us out on our Facebook page, our YouTube channel, Tea Time with Mother and Crone. And of course, that's Time Like the Herb, T-H-Y-M-E. And thank you so much for your support every week. We definitely appreciate you all. And if anybody makes their John Barley corn, take a pick of it and throw it on our Facebook page so we can yes. see what John Barley corn looks like. Um, it, it's a fun thing to do with the kids. It really is. And they love stabbing him. I mean, that, that yes. just, just makes their day. So yes. when you make it, show a picture of your child. Yeah. Just like your mm, mm, psycho here. Yes, absolutely. We, we have a lot of fun with it. <laughs> thank you for your support. And goodness knows where we're going to head on next week and what we're going to talk about. Um, if you have a suggestion, question, or something you'd like to hear, Pop on and let us know. Otherwise, we don't know. Uh, we do read minds, but you have to be in close proximity. Otherwise, you'll just deal with what we want to talk about. <laughs> goodness only knows where that's going to lead. Well, okay. thank you so much again. Thank we'll see you guys. Blessed be.